I'd like to take this opportunity to say good evening. Welcome to the services, and we appreciate uh, very much your presence uh, here with us tonight. Uh, if you were with us yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, we started this meeting off, and uh, we talked about the importance of our identity uh, in Christ. And ultimately, our responsibility as the children of God are to be his ambassadors, uh, that when the world looks at us and looks at our life and the choices that we make, that they get a glimpse of the Son of God. And I want to tell you, none of us are able to walk that perfectly. All of us fall short. And I know I can look at my life and the decisions that I've made, and I'm thankful that I have a merciful Savior. Amen. I'm thankful that I have a Savior that has extended grace to mankind that through repentance and obedience to the gospel of Christ, even though I'm carnal flesh and in me is nothing good, as far as God is concerned, if we're obedient and faithful to him, he sees us cleansed by that powerful blood of his son and he sees a child of his. And that identity should be enough. And you know what? If we make it to the day of judgment and we hear those words from our master, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I want to tell you that's going to be enough. And we're going to be able to dwell in that place that we talked about yesterday afternoon for all of eternity. And how we talked about heaven needs to be a goal. It needs to be something that motivates us. It needs to be something that brings us comfort and peace in a world that's full of chaos. And you know, I never thought 20 years ago when I started preaching and holding meetings and those kind of things that our world in 20 short years would be in the state that it's in. But you know what? It shouldn't surprise us. Because I want to tell you, this world is marred with sin. And anytime there is sin in the world, guess what? There's going to be chaos. Anytime there is sin, there are going to be people and individuals who live lives that have departed from the word of God. But I want to tell you tonight, I want to preach a message of hope. I want to tell you that hope is not simply that Jesus loves everyone but that through that love, he gives us the instruction that sometimes is hard to hear. That his word breaks unto us the bread of life, that if we will take it in and we will truly live according to it, that means we're gonna have to take a hard look in that mirror every once in a while and say, you know what, there's some things about my life that I need to change. And brethren, change is hard. Repentance is hard. But I want to tell you what repentance brings is worth the pain. It's worth the destruction of my pride. It's worth the lowering and the humility that it brings about in a person's life. Because what repentance produces is a heart that's malleable, that the word of God can rebuild into what he desires for it to be. And I hope and pray this evening that we'll take a hard look at our life. And if you feel the reproof of the word of God pulling at your heart, that you will make a decision to change. Because that change is certainly much needed. I want you to get your Bibles and turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 And this is a psalm of Asaph concerning the sanctuary. And I want to start there in verse 10 of this psalm. Psalm 73 and verse 10. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou casted them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. 
Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Where are you at with God this evening? See, it's important for us to draw near to God. And when I think about the Bible, there are some major themes. And ultimately, you know what the Bible is all about? It's all about Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus wasn't plan B or C for God to save humanity. He was the plan from the beginning. You see, it wasn't just because Adam and Eve messed up the first plan of God that then he gave them a law and they couldn't live by that law. And then ultimately said, well, okay, here's Jesus. This will fix it. You know, that was God's ultimate plan from the beginning because of his grace and mercy that his only begotten son would come into this sin-sick world and die as an offering for our sins. And how gracious and merciful is he to offer us that salvation? And what is it that we could do in response to such a wonderful and precious gift? Tonight, we could repent of our sins. That's the answer that God is looking for because we need to change. And as much as we think about Jesus and and we think about the Bible and say, the Bible's a love story between man and God. And and the Bible speaks of God's love for his creation and humanity. I'll tell you, I agree with that. But you know, every person that had an interaction with Jesus, they walked away from Jesus, and I want to tell you, he loved them. But you know, Jesus required change. You know, we sing the hymn oftentimes as an invitation song. It's one of my favorite songs, Just As I Am. I want to tell you, we come to Jesus just as we are, but we leave him changed. (laughs) We leave him different because of his power. Not because of how great and wonderful and the perfect decision makers that we are. Because guess what? All of us have sinned and fallen short. And all of us continue to struggle in this flesh to battle sin. And I don't stand before you a perfect example. No man can stand in this pulpit and tell you they're the perfect example. We have but one of those and it's Jesus. And the Bible all is all about his love. I'll tell you the Bible is also a book about repentance. You think about the Old Testament time and time again. What was God pleading with his children to do? Those people were the apple of his eye. That nation that he had called out from that world was precious to him. And they had committed idolatry and they had forsaken him and they had forgotten him over and over and over again. And every time, what did God do? Though he would punish them and they would suffer, he was calling them to repent. And they would repent and they would enjoy the blessings of God. And we see that pattern throughout the Old Testament. But then we get to the New Testament and John the Baptist, as he's preparing the way for Jesus, preached a very simple message. He said, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. And John the Baptist was paving the way for Jesus to come. And when Jesus himself preached, what was the message? Time and time again, people caught in sin, go thy way and sin no more. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sent the disciples out in the limited commission, his commandment to them was go preach this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How can we preach the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ without preaching repentance and change? They go hand in hand. And because Christ loves humanity and because God's love is so perfect for his people and those who he is calling to, He says, I need you to change. I need you to be willing to repent. You know what? Reproof is hard. Reproof is difficult to hear because reproof ultimately is when we learn that we're wrong. You ask my wife, Chase doesn't like to be wrong, (laughs) but I don't think I'm the only one in this room that doesn't. Do you like to be wrong? I think we all like to be right. I hope that's the case. But notice what the psalmist says here about his own life. 
There in verse 24, he says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart, what? Faileth. You see, when we try to go about fixing our own problems our way, and we don't access the power through repentance to dwell within the mercy and love of Jesus Christ, guess what? We're relying on our own abilities. And the psalmist says here, my flesh and heart faileth. You see, when we try to fight a spiritual war with the flesh alone, guess what? We lose every time. And that's what the psalmist says. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, our access to God through his spirit, after we've been obedient to the gospel, we have that access to the Father and the strength that he provides to us, that we continually are cleansed by that blood as long as we're walking in the light and practicing repentance and seeking that restoration of that relationship continually. You know, the Bible is there to correct us. It's not there to make us feel good about ourselves. You ever read the Bible and as you're reading, you just say, I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> I've been there because I know in my heart I'm wrong. And I hate looking into the perfect law of liberty and seeing the reproof that it provides to me because my pride. Have you ever heard sermons and you say, man, the preacher was stepping on my toes. Brethren, we need preachers to step on our toes. We need the truth to be told in that way if we're convicted that our hearts will change and we'll return to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. We don't need preaching that just makes us leave the building feeling puffed up and prideful and happy with the people that we are. We need to hear messages of truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped, or furnished unto all good works. See, we understand the word of God is there to give us doctrine. And boy, we're going to uphold the doctrine. But it says it's also profitable for reproof. <laughs> you know, we need to read the word of God asking it to correct us. We need to read the word of God and study with brethren saying, if you see any flaw in me, if you see sinful patterns of behavior or my thoughts coming to fruition and my behaviors, my actions, my words, please correct me. We need to pray to God that that correction would be clearly revealed to us in his word so that we might change the things that we need to change so that we might bring glory and honor to the one who died for us. You ever been reproved by someone? It's not fun. You know, when I really learned reproof, I was 15 years old. And I want to tell you how I learned reproof. Watching the all 22s. That may not mean anything to most of y'all in this audience. I want to tell you what this is. This is film review. Film review a lot of times was fun. And let me explain to you what that is. Every Friday night, what happens in Texas? We play football, don't we? High school football. Well, when I was 15 years old, I played for Roy City High School. And I was a sophomore and I was on the varsity and I played defensive tackle. We had a game that week that we were playing Eustis. And our coaches had watched film on Eustis. They had watched every game they played. And you know what our coaches said? Boys, we can beat them. You know, Eustis was favored to beat us by 24 points. It wasn't even supposed to be a game. They chartered buses from Eustis to Roy City. That's not that long of a ride, but they wanted to be comfortable on their trip because <laughs> they were going to enjoy the ride home. But our coaches said, boys, we can beat them, and here's how. They run two plays. They run 22 trap and 23 trap. Trap left, trap right. And I know some of y'all, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me explain. I played defensive tackle, which essentially meant my job was to clog everything up <laughs> and take up space, okay? I was good at it, <laughs> okay? Well, I would line up in a two technique, so the center is the one who snaps the ball to the quarterback. Next to the center is the guard. I would line up head up on that guard, 
And coaches all week long said, Chase, if that guard blocks down and crosses your face, you have two jobs. Number one is you check that, that man going across your face. You just push him, and then you stand your ground because the trap block, the other guard is going to pull and trap you. And all you got to do is stand in that gap and absorb that block, and there's not going to be any room. <laughs> And our linebackers are going to come in and make the tackle. We'll win the game if you do your job. And I all week said what? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm ready. I know what to do. And all week long, we practiced. I'd blow it up. No problem. And they told me, don't get too aggressive and get upfield thinking you're going to make the tackle because that's when you're going to get ear holed. <laughs> and that means that guard's going to block you. You're not even going to see it coming, and we're going to get blown out. And I said, that won't happen, sir. Well, Friday night comes. Y'all know what happens on Friday night. Band starts playing. Everybody's cheering. The crowd's going wild. We tear through the tissue paper, and we're ready to roll. They kick off. We have the ball. We punt. They get the ball. First defensive possession for our team. Coaches say, watch the traps. We got it, coach. I get in position. My brain is saying, trap, 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 trap. Guess what happened? The guard over me, guess what? He blocked down. Guess where I went? I thought I was going to be the hero, and I shot that gap, ready to go make the tackle, upfield. I get hit in the shoulder. I'm laying on the ground. You, There's an eight-foot hole <laughs> where I should have been. I roll over on the ground, and I see the running backs back 60 yards down the field scoring a touchdown. I get up. I run over to the sideline. Coach grabs my face mask because back in 1995, you could do that kind of stuff. And he said, Palmer, you had one job. I said, no, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't my fault. He didn't block down. He didn't do what he said. He blocked this way. and It, it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. You know what he told me? He said, we'll see tomorrow morning. You know what tomorrow morning meant? Saturday morning was film review, and we had to be at the field house at 8 a.m. to watch the film from the game the night before if we lost. If we won, we got to be there at 10. <laughs> well, guess what? We had to be there at 8. <laughs> we didn't win. We played the rest of the game. We played pretty well, but we lost the game. And I remember going into film review that morning feeling pretty good. We get there, and all the team is sitting in the field house. They have the projector up. Coach has it queued up. It's not to the opening kickoff. It's not to our opening offensive possession. It's to our first defensive play of the game. And I'm like, why are we starting with this? And then it hit me, oh, no. <laughs> and guess what that coach did? He said, everybody, watch Palmer. Let's see if he did his job. And sure enough, just like we had practiced all week, that guard blocked down. I stepped in the gap, but I shot the gap too far up. I got blocked, ear hold, and there they were scoring a touchdown. He said, did Palmer do his job? And before anybody else could say anything, I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, well, let's watch it again. <laughs> Everybody watch. I want to tell you, we backed that up and watched it about 12 times. And coach said, Palmer, do you have anything to say? I said, sir, I didn't do my job. He said, that's all I needed to hear. Let's move on. You know what I learned that day is reproof doesn't feel good and the film don't lie. You know, I could have made all kinds of excuses with my coach. I could have blamed everybody else, but the film didn't lie. It revealed the truth. Do you understand your life is naked and opened before God? There's nothing you do, there's nothing you say, there's nothing you think that God isn't aware of. And too often times we know we're wrong, but because of our pride, guess what we do? No, Lord, it's not my fault. Isn't that what Eve did in the garden? Isn't that what Adam did? <laughs> God, you can't blame me. It's the woman's fault. Not only is it the woman's fault, Lord, it's your fault because you gave me the woman. And how often do we want to blame other people and even God himself for our inadequacies and our sin? 
when all God is asking for is acknowledge what I already know. And you know what? We can have a wonderful relationship. Because guess what God knows about each and every one of us? We are flawed humans. When did he send Jesus to die for us? The Bible says, while we were yet sinners. You think God doesn't know? You see, God has reproved his people all throughout history. Why would we expect it to be any different today? Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. You think of that account of David and David's ugliness of his sin. And, and we mention David a lot of times, but I want you to understand the heinous act that David performed. King David, ruler of God's people, looked out from his rooftop and he saw bathing next door a woman. And she was beautiful to look upon. You know, David had the ability to say, she's beautiful, but you know what? She's another man's wife and I have my wives and God has blessed me and I need to be content with what I have. Don't you think that would have saved David a lot of heartache? <laughs> but what did David do? He saw the beauty of Bathsheba and he said, I gotta have her even went to the steps necessary to send his servants to go and fetch her for him and bring her to his home so that he might lie with her and commit adultery. The king of Israel is lying in bed committing adultery with another man's wife. Doesn't stop there though, does it? You know, David felt guilty for that sin. You know how we know David felt guilty? He tried to cover it up, didn't he? What did he do? He hatched the plan that I know what I'll do when he found out that Bathsheba was expecting a child. What did he say? Oh, I'll get Uriah to come in from the battle where he's faithfully serving me, fighting this battle. I'll have him come in and I'll give him a break and have him go in and be with his wife. And that way, if she's expecting, it'll be hit. Nobody will even know we can cover this up. You know why David thought he could get away with it? because he was blinded by his own pride and arrogance. And brethren, when we sin and then we're blinded by our own pride and arrogance, guess what happens? We commit more sin <laughs> and it gets worse and worse. Because what happened when Uriah came in from the battle? See, Uriah was very noble, wasn't he? And Uriah refused to go in and lie with his wife. Why? Because his men were out fighting the battle. He said, I can't be here enjoying the blessing of my wife while our men are out there fighting this battle. I'll sleep outside on the porch. And he did that. Then David saying, well, that didn't work. Did David feel guilty about his sin? He did because now that plan didn't work. So guess what he's going to do? He's going to call his other generals in and say, hey, go back out in the battle and y'all charge forward. And when the battle gets hot, I want everyone else to pull back and leave Uriah. And what happened? Uriah lost his life. You know what David thought? Problem solved. It may not be ideal. My first plan of covering up my sin didn't quite work, but you know what? Hey, this is manageable. We have great PR, we can, we, can, we can sell this to the people, it's gonna be okay. You see, but David had forgotten who he was and what his responsibilities toward God were. Because then God sends the prophet Nathan to him and what's Nathan say? Nathan tells him that story about this man traveling into this country and there was a rich man and a poor man and the rich man had all the flocks he could ever want and this poor man had one little ewe lamb that ate from his table and was unto him as a daughter. And when that traveler came through the rich man to prepare a feast for that passerby, didn't take one of his many flocks to slaughter and present, what did he do? He went and took that one little ewe lamb from that poor man and he prepared it and he sacrificed it and he made that for that traveler. How did David respond to that teaching from Nathan? You remember what David said? David was angry 
And David recognized the sin of that man and said, that man should pay. That man needs to be punished and he needs to restore fourfold to that man of which he took that he shouldn't have taken from. That's wrong. You know, sin is really easy to see in other people. Isn't it? It's hard to see in ourselves. But you know what Nathan said? Thou art the man. You talk about reproof. You talk about sting. You know, I bet David was mad. And I bet it crossed David's mind. How dare you, Nathan, (laughs) come to me and accuse me of this? You know, David could have had Nathan killed for speaking against the king. And he had servants that would have done it. You know, David could have told Nathan, you know what, Nathan, say whatever you want to say. Nobody's going to believe you. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. And you know what? To a point that would have been true. But you know why Nathan was bold enough to go teach and share that message with the king of Israel? It's because God was calling David to repentance. And he was providing an opportunity. Now we know how David responded because David realized his need for God. Do you realize you have a need for God tonight? Genesis chapter three speaks of this. As Adam and Eve had sinned and they realized what they have done, In Genesis 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Was God asking them where they were because he had lost track of them? God knew perfectly well where Adam and Eve were. He asked the question so Adam and Eve would acknowledge what they had done. Where art thou? God knew they had eaten of the tree that he had commanded them not. He knew they were trying to hide themselves. He knew they were trying to cover their sin and they were feeling shame and guilt and they didn't know how to handle that. And he said, where art thou? And what he was doing was calling out to them to say, you know what? Acknowledge what you've done. Realize the gravity of the decision that you have just made. And brethren, can one decision alter our life? One decision. You know, that decision David made brought a plethora of consequences into his home. You know, David was forgiven. David was allowed to continue being the king of Israel. David is taught to us in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart. And he was. But I want to tell you, there were consequences to that sin. That child died and his home was filled with violence for generations. Because those children had seen what their father had done and thought, dad did it. We have to be careful. You young people in the audience this evening, I want you to understand one decision can have life-altering consequences. And your parents and your brothers and sisters and your leaders here in this congregation are working to try to help you and guide you and teach you to avoid making some of those decisions. But let me tell you this, if you make one of those decisions, you can always be forgiven. Those consequences of that decision may not be fun and they may be painful to go through, but your soul can still be saved. Because God is a God of mercy. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize you have a need for God? I remember when I was baptized January 19th of 1999. And I want to tell you, I was at a desperate point in my life where I knew I needed God. But you know, since then, 
Sometimes I get comfortable. But then life reminds me, Chase, you hadn't got it all figured out. You still need God. And I venture to say I'm not the only one that struggles with that. But as desperate as I was for the blood of Christ to forgive me of my sins when I was obedient to the gospel, my desperation from God has, for God has not changed whether I recognize it or not. We need to recognize it. Think about what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 as he's talking about those beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, poor in spirit has nothing to do with riches or earthly wealth. It's talking about your perception of yourself and your humility. That if I'm poor in spirit, I understand I need someone or something bigger than myself to guide me and fix me. I can't do it alone. Are you poor in spirit? I think as children of God, we have to be. If we want to be blessed by God and inherit the kingdom of heaven, we should be the most meek and humble and gentle people that live on this earth and never think too highly of who we are and what we are. For our identity only matters if we're in Christ Jesus. You see, sin separates man from God. Isaiah 59, the first three verses there, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But what? Your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. See, when we really think about the gravity of our sin, which is easy for us to see in Adam and Eve. It's easy in us to see the, the world in the days of Noah and the wickedness and evil and sin that the world was dominated with. It's easy for us to see the sin of King David. It's easy for us to see the sins of those who were present in the New Testament walking with Jesus. Rest assured, as serious as the consequences of sin were for those individuals, so are the consequences for us. Sin separates us from God. It creates a barrier between us and our creator. But you know, people don't like to hear that. People don't want to hear what will really fix their homes. People don't want to hear what will really fix this country. People don't really want to hear what will help them overcome addiction. People don't really want to hear because what we want to hear is what's going to make us feel good even in these present circumstances. I want to tell you, hearing that your sin separates you from God creates uncomfortableness if you're poor in spirit. And if it creates uncomfortableness, then that ought to bring about inner conflict which then should lead to some type of change. And I want to tell you, it will change you one way or another. Because you will stiffen your back and stiffen your neck and refuse to hear the admonition and the reproof of the word of God and you'll go about living in sin and eventually guess what God's going to do? He's going to give you over to a reprobate mind as he teaches us in Romans chapter 1. Or you're going to respond and say, I need help to solve this problem of sin that I have created. The wages of sin is death. We know that. And I think if we really contemplated that when we had decisions to make, when we're tempted and we really thought, if I perform this, if I do this, it's going to destroy me. You know what? We'd commit less sin. But we don't want to think about the consequences. We don't want to think about the wages of sin. We just want the moment of pleasure and then we suffer the consequences 
Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There's a great truth spoken here by the Apostle Paul. Yes, he's talking about trespasses and sins, and he's talking about walking according to what? The course of this world. But to me, one of the most powerful things in this message, guess what? He says, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now working the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, we all, you think you're the only one who's ever struggled and battled against temptation and sin? <laughs> this room is filled with people who have battled temptation, who deal with sin, and sometimes, guess what, who fall to sin. And we don't ever want to portray that, you know what, we have everything perfectly together in our life, and if you're going to be a part of this church, your life better be perfect. And brethren, if we've portrayed that, shame on us. The church is a place of healing. The church is a place of refuge. That when you've messed up and when you've sinned, you have a place to come so that you can learn how to properly deal with that sin and glorify God. Did you know God is glorified through the process of repentance? He said, but repentance is a consequence of sin. But you know what? That's the plan of God. And when the will of God is being obeyed, guess what? God is glorified. So no matter what sin you have committed, no matter how ugly you might think it is, through repentance, you can bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, David tried to cover everything up and it created more heartache and more sin. Not only did he commit adultery, then he committed murder. And all the while, all God was asking for is, David, just acknowledge what you've done and don't do it again. You know, some people could look at that and say, well, that's not justice. If God is just going to forgive, then I can sin and do whatever I want and, and then just say I'm sorry and say I'll do better and I really never have to do anything. But I want to tell you, the book of Romans chapter 6 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And he teaches that twice within that chapter, doesn't he? For a reason. Because if you're going to play, play games with God and try to manipulate his grace, it's not going to work. But if you're sincerely broken because of your sin, he says, you come to me, you acknowledge what I already know, and guess what? I will rebuild you. I will heal you and forgive you of your sins. You see, confession is actually, has nothing to do with us verbalizing our sin. You know, the world hijacks words <laughs> and changes the definition of words all the time. When you hear the word confess, what pops in your mind? Be honest. What comes to your mind? Because I'll tell you what comes into my mind. When I hear the word confess, I think of us having to sit down with someone and spill out our dirty laundry and tell them what our sins are. You know what the word confess literally means? It means to acknowledge. Now, I do believe we need to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another. But I want to tell you, when you confess your sins to God, you're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know. So all he is asking for is for you to see your sin from the same perspective of which he sees it. And that it has damaged the relationship that he so desires to have with you. And through that process of repentance, that relationship can be restored and reconciled but it will never work if you don't acknowledge that you've done wrong you ever had somebody do something wrong they knew they were wrong everyone knew they were wrong and they just wouldn't admit it and they just kept on and kept on you know what happens to those people typically they get isolated they leave the church 
And a lot of times they'll complain about the church. Well, they're just self-righteous people. They think they're better than everybody else. And the whole while, all they had to do is admit, you know what, I was wrong. You know, I've had to go to Brother Ian and tell him I was wrong about stuff. (laughs) That I was even wrong in things I might have done to him. You know what Brother Ian said? I love you, brother. (laughs) And he hugged my neck. And you know what? We worked and fixed that part of our relationship. Imagine what God is wanting to do with you tonight if you would only come to him. He knows the ugly. He knows the sin. He knows the heinous. And all he's asking for is acknowledge what you've done. Because you won't change anything if you never acknowledge that there's a problem. You know, Paul acknowledged his sin. And Paul was very open about his sin. And he didn't glory in that, but he was sharing that as an example. Romans chapter 7 verse 18 says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Titus 3 and 3, he says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. And Paul lumps himself into this category and says, We've all been there to not understand you're not the only one. We've all been there. And God is calling to all of us, if you've done these things, if you've had these thoughts, if you've participated in these behaviors, acknowledge it and come to me. And in me, there's healing. In me, there's forgiveness. In me, there's restoration. In me, there's reconciliation. In me is salvation and the forgiveness of any sin. And I want to tell you, Paul's sins were ugly against God's holy nation, his church. Could you imagine someone coming in here tonight and taking our wives prison, prisoners and taking them and our children and arresting them because of our faith in Jesus? And maybe one of our brothers being taken outside of this building and stoned to death and a man being there, consenting to that. And then that man coming back and saying, I'm sorry. And us having to forgive him. (laughs) But I want to tell you tonight, how do you think God feels when he sacrificed his only son and he sees us coming to him saying, Father, I've sinned. Father, I've messed up. Father, forgive me. And just like that prodigal son, our father doesn't lecture us. Our creator doesn't tell us how ugly and nasty and vile we are. But you know what he does? He embraces us and says, you're forgiven. I'm thankful for that tonight. You see, David responded to that reproof by saying, I have sinned against the Lord. And then you read the Psalms that David wrote following that event. David was broken, wasn't he? But you know, it woke David up to where he needed to be all along. And he was reliant upon God. How should you respond to reproof tonight? Psalm 141, the psalmist writes, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. Listen to this. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. You know what? We ought to be praying for someone to come and reprove us. When we have brethren who are willing to have that hard conversation and confront sin head on, you know what? If we're wrong and we've sinned, we ought to say thank you. And we ought to say thank you for the kindness that you have given to me. 
Because I want to tell you, it's not loving to see people in sin and just let them continue to their own destruction. But it is so loving to share with them the truth that if they continue in that sin, they're going to be separated from God, but through Jesus Christ, they can be saved. That's love. That's the love that we have to have for one another. And if we don't have that love for one another to have those hard conversations with each other, we're sure not going to do it with the world. Be thankful for the reproof of God. Because when you feel conviction, it'll motivate you to repent. Why did Paul write 2 Corinthians? He was actually writing them to commend them upon their repentance from the first letter that he wrote. And here in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, For godly sorrow worketh, what? Repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul didn't want to write 1 Corinthians, but he said it's needful. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you, having a man in your congregation sleeping with your father's wife, father's wife is sin. You shouldn't glory in that. When you're coming around the table to have the Lord's Supper and some aren't getting some and you're preferring others above others and y'all aren't observing and discerning it properly, that's wrong. And them reading that letter... And saying, you know what, brethren, we need to change some things. And Paul observes that change and then commends him and says, look at the difference that it made. You see, that's the difference that has to be in us when we truly repent and come to Jesus. That I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be different so that I don't keep doing the same sinful thing that I've always struggled against. And Corinth was commended for their repentance. Tonight, the conviction that you feel because of your sin and the reproof of the word of God needs to lead to repentance and obedience. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, or Acts chapter 22 and 10, the apostle Paul as he saw of Tarsus and he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's recounting that at his trial. What's he say? And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Saul of Tarsus met the Lord. Saul of Tarsus wanted to change, and he's asking the Lord, what is it that you need me to do? And he said, go see Ananias, and he'll tell you. And ultimately, what did Ananias tell him? Verse 16, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, the person that's truly repentant cries out to the Lord and says, what do I need to do? And whatever it is I need to do, I'm willing to walk through it and do it and perform it so that I might have the forgiveness and restoration of my relationship with you because that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what people in the community are going to think. It doesn't matter what people in the church house are going to think. It doesn't matter what mom and dad are going to think. It only matters what the Lord is going to think. And whatever you need me to do, I'm willing. Are you willing to do that tonight? See, on the day of Pentecost, there are thousands of people who heard a message. And that message was the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And they were told very plainly, that same Jesus whom you have crucified is both Lord and and Christ. You know, upon hearing that, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart. I pricked my finger today on a rose bush. <laughs> I want to tell you, it hurt. I want to tell you, that's not what happened to their hearts. That word pricked there, if you really look at what it means, the definition of it, it means they were thrust through. <laughs> Think about a sword thrusting through your body, through your heart and out your back. That's how they felt. It wasn't, oh, that hurt. No, they were pierced through and they were broken. And guess how they responded? Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? 
Did he say there's nothing you can do? You did this and you're going to pay? You know, we might want to say that to people sometimes. Did he say, well, you just got to go figure this out on your own? Well, you just got to go live a good life now and do more good than that. And maybe, maybe by the skin of your teeth, God will forgive you and save you. No, he gave the gospel message of salvation. And upon them saying, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Was there any doubt? There was total confidence. And these people had murdered the Son of God. And Peter assured them of their salvation through repentance and baptism. You know what you can have tonight? You can have assurance of your salvation. Because guess what I know about all of you in this audience? You're guilty of murdering Jesus. I'm guilty of murdering Jesus. But by his stripes, I'm healed. Do you need to be healed tonight? Repent. Acknowledge what you've done. Have godly sorrow. And come asking the Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And if you've never been baptized, the Lord's answer is going to be the same to you as it was to those on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. If you've been baptized, the Lord's answer is going to be pray and be restored. And after you do those things, you need to walk out of those church doors tonight confident. Not in what you've done, but in what Jesus has done for you. And tonight you can be saved. The message is yours. The gospel is available to all. And we're going to offer an invitation. And if during that invitation you realize you need to repent of your sins, whatever they are, no one else in here may know them. But I want to tell you, your Lord does. And your Lord is pleading with you to come to him so that he might perform a glorious work in forgiving you through the blood of his son. And if we can help you in any way, come have a seat on the front while we stand and sing.